Now we're going to read from the scriptures and we're turning tonight to 2 Samuel chapter 3. Second Samuel chapter 3. And we're going to commence reading at verse 17. Quite a lengthy reading tonight. But I ask that you follow with me as we read from the scriptures. Remember, we're reading the word of God. Words that the Holy Ghost had inspired. An accurate and true record. 2 Samuel chapter 3, we'll read from verse 17. Let's hear the word of God, reading, of course, from the authorized version. The words will come up on the screen for those who are online tonight. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel, saying, Ye sought for David in time past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord hath spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. And Abner also went to speak in the ears of David in Hebron all that seemed good to Israel and all that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron and Twenty men with him, and David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go, and will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop, and brought in a great spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. When Joab and all the host that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he hath sent him away, and he is gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee, why is it that thou hast sent him away, and he is quite gone? Thou knowest, Abner the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sirah. But David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Ahaziel, his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest in the head of Joab and all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, Rend your clothes. And gird you with sackcloth, 
and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a full death. Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. And when all the people came to cause David to eat meat, while it was yet day, David sware, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread, or aught else, till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people... And all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there's a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weakened, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zeruah, be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to to his wickedness. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text is found tonight in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and it's in the verse um, 38. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel. And this evening my theme is entitled The Funeral Lament for a Fallen Prince. You see, these words were spoken by King David after the burial of Abner in the city of Hebron. Once Abner's body had been placed in the tomb that day, King David, in the midst of tears and grief, uttered these immortal words Know ye not that there's a prince? And a great man fallen this day in Israel. Now during the past week, the word prince has been in my mind. I suppose we couldn't miss it. It's been on the television and the radio. Did you know that the word prince is used in the Bible 355 times? Did you even know, for example, that the Lord Jesus is called in Acts chapter 3 verse 15, the prince of life? I mean, we preach a sermon on that sometime. But it was also used by King David to describe for us the kind of and the type of man that Abner really was. Now this past week we've been thinking of the life and legacy of Prince Philip, His Royal Highness Prince Philip the Duke of Edinburgh. He died on Friday the 9th of April. He was buried yesterday on the 17th of April. He had been the queen's husband for 73 years. He was also her personal royal consort. Did you know that he had joined the Royal Navy as a midshipman? He met Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth at the age of 13. They became friends and started courting and eventually got married. They were married in 1947. And they have formed a long loving bond that has endured for 73 years together. 
Together they had four children, Charles, Edward, Anne, and Andrew. They have great-grandchildren, and some of them were familiar with Prince William, for example, Prince Harry, Princess Eugene, and of course there's others. Yesterday the royal family were united in grief as they came together for the funeral service of Prince Philip in St. George's Chapel, Windsor. Philip's coffin was covered in the royal standard. It was bearing his sword. His naval cap was appropriately placed. There's a wreath of flowers with a personal handwritten message on it by the queen herself. The hearse, it was extraordinary. It was self-designed by Philip, a green Land Rover defender. Bands from all three of the armed forces paid tribute to Prince Philip. The Air Force, the Navy, and the army was represented with all the traditional pomp and ceremony fitting for such an occasion. The funeral procession from Windsor Castle to St. George's Chapel took approximately eight minutes. A special lament was played by a lone piper of the Royal Regiment of Scotland. The last post was sounded by a bugler from Philip's beloved Royal Marines. The Royal Marines engaged in action stations at the specific behest of the late Duke of Edinburgh. Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, was driven to St. George's Chapel. The four children and the grandchildren and some others, friends and family, followed behind the coffin in royal possession uh, procession to St. George's. The, the, the funeral service lasted about 50 minutes. There were 30 people in attendance. Millions joined in across the UK and the Commonwealth and maybe even other parts of the world. We could really say in relation to Philip's death, the world united in grief. There were minutes silences in Enniskillen, Belfast, Hillsborough, Hillsborough even had a 21-gun salute from Hillsborough Castle, the Queen's official residence. You see, the world was really saying thank you for a life that was well-lived and also saying goodbye to a man that they knew. And I have no doubt that the Duke of Edinburgh touched the lives of all who knew him. He was known for his humour. I never had met him. He was also known for his humanity and known for his honesty. His life and his legacy was well remembered during the funeral service. It was reflected in his naval career. His Duke of Edinburgh scheme, some children even here in our community have participated in that, my own included. And his life of unquestionable dedication to his queen and his wife for 73 years. And I was thinking, when I heard the word prince, when I heard the words Prince Philip had died, I was thinking of that fitting application of David's words. Know ye not that there's a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Now in the scriptural context, these words apply to Abner. You see, he too was afforded something of a state funeral. His funeral was organized by the royal house. King David himself was in attendance. In fact, King David stood at the grave of Abner and he wept tears. The whole of the country of Israel was united in grief at the death of Abner. Abner was not a member of the royal house, yet he had won the admiration of the whole country. He too had distinguished himself as a great soldier, a great statesman, 
a, a great servant. He, he too was held in the highest esteem. He had reached a very high level in regard to his ability, his honor, his, his duty, his service. For years he had been the commander-in-chief of Saul's armed forces. Now Saul was dead. He had been slain in battle. The war was over. Civil war had ceased. Abner was in Hebron for peace talks with David. He pledges allegiance to King David. So after leaving Hebron with a company of his men, Abner was suddenly summoned to return to Hebron by a man called Joab. And upon his return to the city, look with me at 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 27. Let's read what happened. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, that means peaceably, and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asaziel, his brother. You see, this was a cold-blooded murder. And after his burial, David wanted the country to know he had neither part nor lot in this murder. And it was in that context that David uttered these immortal words. Words concerning Abner. Know ye not that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel. And I was thinking of the funeral lament for a great prince. I couldn't help but draw the parallel. And I want to preach in that tonight for the next 25 minutes or so. I want you to think of the substance of Abner's life. If you look at the lament. What does it say? Know ye not that there's a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? Underline the word prince. David called him a prince, even though he wasn't a royal prince, hadn't royal blood in his veins. David called him a great man. Could I tell you tonight that Abner wasn't sinlessly perfect? He wasn't a sinlessly perfect man. Even though David honored him with such a title, and David in his burial uh, oration gives such an accolade, Abner, born and lived, and died a sinful man. The Bible tells us in Psalm 51 verse 4, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. You see, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no perfect man in this world. There's no perfect woman upon this world. The Lord Jesus is the only one of whom it is written three times in the scriptures that he did no sin, that he knew no sin, that in him is no sin. And I believe tonight in the absolute sinness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in theological language, we call it the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He was able not to sin. He was not able to sin because of who he was. Yet he was tempted in all points like as we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. I believe, of course, that the Lord Jesus kept the law of God perfectly for us. He said in his lifetime, which of you convinces of me of sin? He said, the prince of this world, thinking about the devil, cometh and of nothing in me. And you see, while Prince Philip, like Abner, was a great man and had the title prince to his name, princely titles, princely status, great soldier, great statesman, a great servant, a man who faithfully and fully served 
uh, his queen for all those 73 years. Abner, of course, faithfully and fully was serving the Lord in the cause that he was committed to. Both men were stillborn sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I want to make it clear tonight that this is true of all men and women, regardless of their station in life. Oh, that princely men, oh, that paupers would humble themselves before the Lord and make this admission. Have this confession. And what would the confession be? Even though I'm a prince, even though I'm a great man in society, even though people honor me with accolades, I am nothing but a great sinner before the Lord. Isn't it so sad today that many in the higher echelons of society do not adopt that attitude? They don't have that mindset. Is not true of other great men that died? I couldn't help when I thought of these words of the late Dr. Ian R. K. Paisley. I was thinking of his funeral service. I was thinking of the death of Dr. Ken Elliott, my dear friend in Portadown, whom, whom we miss greatly. I was thinking of the death of the Reverend Robert Omerod. And while we rejoice in their life, and rejoice in the ministry of all that they accomplished. And acknowledge that they've left as an example that's commendable to each of us. The truth is that even though these great men, they were not perfect. They had their sins and shortcomings. They had their flaws and their failures. But one thing that they did have, and this is true of Dr. Paisley at the age of six, true of the Reverend Ken Elliott at the age of 17, they had a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ. There was a time in their life when they discovered that they were a sinner and they needed to be saved. As I've said, the Dr. Paisley got saved at six. Do you know the children can be saved at five and six years of age? And if you're a boy or girl and you haven't asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, we would urge you to do that. Get down on your knees beside daddy or mommy and pray, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe the Lord will save you. Maybe there's a teenager here. Reverend Elliot got saved when he was 17. He got saved in the um, city mission hall. I believe it was on Bellevue Street in um, uh, Sandy Row, or it might have been the Shankill. Somebody will correct me in relation to Belfast. Um, but age of 17, and maybe there's a teenager here, and you're not saved. You've grown up in a Christian home, and mum and dad is converted. What about you? What do you know about your life? You see, here's the greatest discovery. Not that I was born a prince. Not that I have a silver spoon in my mouth. Not that I have got millions of wealth that I can tap into in the bank. Young people, here's the greatest discovery ever that you could make. That you're a great sinner before God. That you need to be saved. And you've got a soul. And that only Jesus Christ can save you. Doesn't the book say, Acts 4 and 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. And oh, that religious Northern Ireland could rediscover that. That it's not the church that saves. It's Christ. It's, it's not a matter of being religious. It's, it's, it's being redeemed through the blood of Christ and drawn into your right relationship with God. It's not even a matter of saying, I've got my faith. See, I remember a man telling me that. But I've got my faith, Mr. McLaughlin. That, that's wonderful. I'll not mention the man's name, for he lived and died locally. 
died many years ago. But I asked him, faith in what? Faith in who? Is it faith in your ability to live a good life? Or is it faith alone in Christ? See, remember, salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. Grace is the spring. Faith is the instrument that draws us to God. There's the substance of Abner's life. I want you to think also here of the stopping of Abner's life. If you look at our text, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 38, Know ye not that there's a prince and a great man fallen this day? Think of the words, a great man fallen this day. See, the reality is that this prince and this great man, there was one day that he died. Prince Philip had a long life, 99 years. Isn't that wonderful? In fact, he was almost 100. Uh, two, two months and one day short of 100. He lived a full life. He lived a very dutiful life. I have no doubt he, he lived a privileged life. But he died on the 9th of April, 2021. Despite his long life, even despite his royal status, the fact is he too succumbed to death. You see, death is certain. I want to tell you death is waiting for you and waiting for me. And one day you will die. And that is absolutely sure and certain. That's one of the sure and certain things about life. The certainty of death. You think of the statistics. How many people out of one die? Well, one out of one dies. In fact, everyone dies. And you don't know when you'll die. You don't know the way you'll die, by accident, by disease, a violent act of someone else's hand, old age. You don't know where you'll be, whether at home, abroad, in the car, at church, school, or work. You don't even know what you're doing. But you can be sure of this. One day you will die. There was a day when Abner's life come to an end. There was a day when Abner's life was stopped. It was taken from him. And where did it happen? It happened in Hebron. Now I want you to keep that in mind. Because he was there talking to King David. They were talking about peace talks. And then Abner is asked to return. Instead of meeting David, he meets Joab. And Joab's in a rage. And, and we read there, and when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smoke him there under the fifth rib. Then he died for the blood of Asael, his brother. See, Abner didn't die in the battlefield, folks. That's important. He didn't die at home in old age. He didn't die as a result of an accident. This wasn't an accidental death. I want to tell you that he died at the hands of a murderer. He was slain in cold blood in an act of revenge for Joab's brother. It was for the blood of Asahel, Joab's brother. You see, Asahel was in the field of battle. He had a lust for glory. Um, he thought it would be a wonderful thing if I could slay Abner, the chief of Saul's forces. He ran after Abner. He faced him. Abner begged him to turn aside and to stop following him. He wouldn't listen. He kept following him. He attacked Abner. And Abner, of course, was more skilled and more experienced as a soldier. Asahel was no match for him. And, and, and Abner slew him in the field of battle. 
Now, remember that that's exactly what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us there that in verse 30, so Joab and Abishai's brother slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. Notice the words, in the battle. That's very important. And from that day, Joab plotted revenge. And he seized his opportunity the day that David and Abner met in Hebron. David had sent them away in peace. And you can read that. I not refer to all the references, but it's mentioned three or four times the word peace uh, here in the text. When Joab found out he was raging, he sent messengers. Abner strangely returned. He came outside the gate of Hebron. And there Joab, according to verse 27, smote him in the fifth rib. Think of Joab striking with all the viciousness of a wicked heart. And at the funeral procession and at the burial, David displayed great emotion. He wept. He lamented. And what did he say? Look at verse um, uh, 33. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth. Now, I want you to look at that. Notice verse 33. It's a question. It's a rhetorical question. And that's gravely misunderstood. And I must confess, I've only seen it in a different light. I've preached in this years ago died Abner as a fool dieth, and I've seen it in a totally different light. I, of course, applied it in the gospel, and rightly so. But I, but I want to tell you something. Think of the word fool, died Abner as a fool dieth. See, David's asking a question. Did Abner die as a fool dieth? I'm going to tell you he didn't. He died as a prince and a great man, and we'll see that. Let, let me prove that to you. You see the word fool it means a base fellow, the worst sort of a person, a wicked criminal that's bound and fettered, dying as a fool as a result of his own transgression. David went on to say, Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. Why were they weeping for Abner? Because he died as a prince and as a great man. You see, this man, Abner, was slaughtered like an animal. And, and David's saying, Abner, you didn't die as a fool dieth. You died as a prince. You died as a great man. He's really exonerating Abner. He, he's extolling him. He, he's clearing his name. Abner, you didn't die as a base, wicked man. Died. But of course, the fact is, he did die. And there was grief and tears. And sadness on the day that he died. See, let me tell you something else. Abner died as a result of a wicked deception. Joab's heart was not right with God, even though he was a great soldier and a great military general of David's army. He was guilty at least of two wicked murders. One of them was the murder of Abner outside the gate of Hebron. Abner's death was the murder of innocent blood. And that death of Abner came about by deceit. Notice verse 27. I've already made reference to it. It says, And took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly. What does that mean? If you look at the context and, and look at the margin, it says peaceably. That's the real meaning of the word. Joab took him aside to speak to him in friendly terms. 
a, a face-to-face meeting, peaceably. He came under the guise of friendship, under the guise of making peace with him. But the real intent was to commit murder. And you see, in murder, it not only involved the shedding of innocent blood, but in every murder, deceit is involved. Because the murderer plans to take life. The murderer lays a trap. He sets a snare. He lures his victim. He lies in wait. And he's got the design and the mindset to shed blood. And isn't our land tonight crying out for the murder of innocent shed blood at the hands of terrorists, whether they be Republican or Loyalist, and that blood cries out to God, and that blood has stained our land. There's one of the reasons why our land and our nation needs to repent before God, because the cry of innocent blood of victims is still crying to God. And some of these nights are going to prove that from the Scriptures. Turn over there to Psalm 10. Psalm 10. We read in verse 7 about the wicked man. Verse 2 mentions the wicked. So here's the context. The wicked. It says in Psalm 10 verse 7, His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in the wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. Joab put on a friendly face. He had a pleasant voice. He come with a smiling face and he come with smooth words and he concealed his weapon and Abner was totally unsuspecting of anything. And Abner's death the day he came back to Hebron seemed so far away. As far as he was concerned, a peace treaty had been drawn up. A league has been formed. He's going to gather all Israel now to David and swear allegiance to him as king. Abner forgot, of course, his own words. How can I lift up my face to Joab? He said that when he slew Joab's brother, Asael. And Abner was deceived in relation to his death. Listen to me. He was lured to his death. He was murdered. Now, do you know tonight that every murderer in the world, from the dawn of time has the handprint of the devil on it. Turn over there to John chapter 8. Look with me at verse 44. Here's a verse I want you to underline in your Bible. This is what the word of God says. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. And the father of it. Now these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in relation to the devil. See, the devil is a liar. That's what the Bible says. The devil tonight is a murderer. And he's being described by our Lord Jesus Christ as such. He's also a deceiver. You see, in relation to Abner's story, the devil was at work. 
The devil was behind this. In fact, I believe the devil's behind every murder in relation to physical death. Do you know that's also true in relation to spiritual death? We haven't time tonight to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. But you think of the subtlety of the serpent who came to beguile Eve. That's how the devil operated. Boys and girls, the devil literally entered into that serpent, the snake. And through the devil, the, 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 the snake spoke to Eve. He had such a hatred of man. He planned to destroy him. And he came as a manslayer and a deceiver into the garden. And, 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 and his, his plan involved deception. He had a very subtle method. He used speech. He used poisonous words, not pleasant words. And what did he say? He cast doubt on what God has said. Hath God said. He was casting doubt, and that's the first thing he does. And then, of course, he denied the word of God. Ye shall not die. Ye shall be as God. Your eyes will be opened. God's withholding something from you. And, of course, he used distrust. And that literally happened. The Bible's historically accurate. The devil was working from the downfall of the human race from the very moment that God made Adam and Eve. And not only Adam and Eve, but the whole of the human family. You see, the devil's a hater of men from the beginning. Here's a picture of woeful deception. Here's the process that's being used from the beginning. He's still at it. He hasn't stopped. It's the course and bent of his life. He's a manslayer. He's a denier. He's a liar tonight. Now turn over there to Revelation chapter 20. Look with me at verse 10. Listen to the word of God. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil that deceived them. You see, that's part of his game plan. Here's how he operates. And there's a whole multitude with him, sadly in the lake of fire, who are suffering forever under the wrath of God. See, here's Abner's story. And David's lamenting. Abner went to his death and was totally deceived. And because he was deceived, he was slain. And he lost his life. And I want to tell you, young people tonight, the devil hates you. The devil's out to destroy you. The devil's out to damn your precious soul. And the devil's doing his best to bring you to eternal ruin. And he'll use any means that he can. He can lure you into a trap. Because that's the way the devil works. He'll use ungodly individuals in the world. He'll use the pull and lure of every remaining sin. He'll make sin attractive to you. There's a deceitfulness in sin to, to destroy you, that he might damn you. There's the stopping of Abner's life. But one final thing. I want you to think of this, the sympathy for Abner's loss. You see, at this funeral, there's also an outpouring of sympathy and grief for Abner's life. If you look with me, if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 3, look with me at verse 32. It, it says there, And they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. So the king weeps and all the people weeps. You see that? King David, in fact, refused to eat. They, they, they said to him, verse 35, And when all the people came to 
uh, caused David to eat meat while it was yet day. David swears, saying, So uh, do God to me and more also, if I taste bread or aught else, till the sun be down. See, he was in the house of mourning. And it's good to go to the house of mourning better than the house of feasting. And why was David so grief-stricken? Why was he weeping at the grave of Abner? Why did he refuse to eat bread? Here's the answer. There was a sympathy for Abner's loss. A great man. A prince. Here was David's announcement. Has fallen this day. David had neither part nor lot in that. And in fact, the Bible tells us here, um, verse 37, for all the people in all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. Could I say tonight, as we close this gospel service, all ranks of men in whatever station of life, rich or poor, one day will die. The Bible says in Luke 16, and the rich man died and was buried, and in hell lifted up his eyes, being in torment. We also know from Luke 16 that Lazarus, the beggar, died. All ages, the old will die, the young may die, but all must die. For we all must needs die, 2 Samuel 14 and 14. And all over the world, we've got daily reminders that one day we're going to die. We, we could think about our forebearers. Our ancestors are no longer with us. Some of you can remember their funerals. You, you, you think of the oldest man who ever lived. Did you know who that was, boys and girls? I trust that you do, young people. Methuselah. What age was he? He was 969. I had to look it up myself. So I do apologize if you can't remember. And those were literal years. Here's a man who lived to 969 years. And if you read Genesis 5, eight times you read the words... And he died, and he died, and he died. There was a day when Methuselah died. Where's the patriarchs? Where's the reformers? Where's the covenanters? Where's the preachers of the 18th and uh, 19th century? You see, death can't be avoided. Death is one appointment you won't escape. And even the mighty men of God, there'll be sympathy for their loss. As I finish tonight, let me point out that Abner's death was sudden, totally unexpected. A big shock to him. A big shock to David. A big shock to the house of Israel. A big shock to the inhabitants of Hebron. See, many today don't like to think of death. The Bible says, oh, that men were wise and they would consider their latter end. But people don't want to think about death. Think about the latter end. If somebody dies, what do they have? They have a booze up. They get drunk. Why? Because they want to block it out of their head about the certainty of death and the enormity of eternity. This death was not only sudden, but it was sad. Do you know why it was sad? Because this man, Abner, died defenseless. Where did he die? Hebron. Hebron was one of the cities of refuge. Now, he's outside the gate. He's not inside the city. He's not over the threshold. He's at the side of the gate. And that's where he was put to death. You see, Hebron, one of the six cities of refuge, you can read about this in Joshua chapter 20. Uh, six cities of refuge were appointed by God for a man slayer to flee to who accidentally killed another man or woman. These cities were appointed by God. These cities were appointed before the children of Israel ever entered the land of promise. If we compare what's written in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, these cities were accessible to all. 
These cities were set in a hill. These cities were signposted. These cities were appointed in the place where the priests lived. Now you compare that city of refuge to the gospel because there is a parallel. Hebrews 6 and 18. What does Hebrews 6 and 18 tells us? Tells us a very interesting statement. It says, Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. That's a reference to Christ. He Christ is the city of refuge. The good news of the gospel was ordained by God. It was ordained before men fell and became sinners. The gospel's accessible to all. John 6 and 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The, the gospel's clear and plain, just as well as the cities of refuge were signposted in the land of Israel. You didn't make a mistake if you were entering Hebron. If you go to Jerusalem, you, you, you'll see in the way out of the city the sign Hebron. You can go and visit it. Some of us have already done that, and what a wonderful privilege it is. There's only 3% of the Jewish people live there. Pray for them at this time. But the gospel hope is through the death of the high priest. You see, the moment the high priest of that city of refuge died, the manslayer could go free and nobody could touch him. This death was sad because Abner died defenseless outside the city. Let me just finish and our time is gone. This death was strange. Do you know why it was strange? Because it was outside the gate. He didn't go in through the gate. And some of you tonight who are listening to me in relation to Christ, the great and only eternal city of refuge, some of you are at the gate. But you have not entered into Christ. It's like standing before the door of the cross, and yet you're prepared to die without entering in, prepared to die without a refuge. Why delay? Why dilly-dally? The Bible says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man knoweth what a day may bring forth. You need to prepare. Isn't it interesting that Abner had made no preparation for the day of his death? He never thought about it as he stepped towards Hebron, the city of refuge. Prince Philip had made loads of preparation for his death and his funeral. But what about you? The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And if you're not born again, let's realize this as we finish tonight. Your life could be cut short. You could die suddenly. And you would be at a loss. There would be those sympathizing for your loss. But where will you be in relation to eternity? Hebrews 9 and 27 says, And that is appointed unto men once to die. But after this a judgment. Two appointments. Appointment with death. But an appointment with a judge of all the earth. And the throne of God. At the judgment of God. Would you not rather be converted? Would you not rather be saved and washed in the blood and meet God with a smile and a rejoicing and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I commend this to you tonight, these lessons from this funeral lament for a great prince. The Lord bless you. Thank you for coming tonight and thank you for listening. If I can be of any help, please speak to us. And we'll do our best.